Hello and welcome to the people behind your food. I'm Chef Ryan Callahan and today I am with Austin Sudcamp who is a food scientist, which is really exciting. I've been telling you guys I want to get a food scientist on the show for a while. Uh, and he's going to tell us what the difference between a food scientist and a chef is. He's also a seminarian at Kenrick Glennon Seminary. Seminarian at Kenrick Glennon Seminary. Yes, that's correct. Um, and so he's going to tell us uh, about going from food science into you know the culinary world, into the priesthood, or studying to be a priest. Uh, what kind of called him to do that and tell his life story. You guys know that... Everything here at The People Behind Your Food is really about telling personal stories because personal stories are interesting. So, uh, Austin, why don't you go ahead and say hello? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know you, and uh, we met, what, about a year ago? Something like that. I think it was about a year ago at the seminary when I was volunteering there. Um, I feel bad because you guys are supposed to be like... You know, learning values and being thin, and then I come in there and I make more food. Like temperance is one of the virtues, and eating too much food is not temperance. And so I feel bad sometimes because I feed you guys too much. Well, it's only once in a while, so I think it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I agree with that position as well. Um, so I know you, but let's go ahead and introduce you for the ladies and gentlemen. So now it's time for the get to know you questions. Dun dun dun. dun. All right, are you ready for this? This is pretty intense. I think I'm ready. Okay, so first question, how old are you? The ripe old age of 22. Oh, 22 whole years old, That's huh? right. All right, what's your favorite movie? I like The Pink Panther, but the new one with Steve Martin. The new... <laughs> okay, well, first off, Steve Martin's amazing. So how do you not like that? Okay, what's your favorite TV show? Uh, I think The Office. The Office? It's okay. It's that, up there. That's a good choice. Now, do you mean The American Office or The British Office? The American Office. Okay. I agree. It's a good one. It's a good one. I like the British one, but I also find the British one so dry sometimes, like overtly dry, like so dry that you're just like, I need, I need a little bit of something to drink after that joke. Uh, what's your favorite music? I like to listen to some jazz and some band stuff, um, like school bands, what you'd play in high school or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, like just, marching band? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and just relaxing like stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sousa. Marches. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, so, are you the kind of person who carries cash or are you paying with cards? I usually pay with cards. Okay. Um, what's your favorite type of ice cream? All of it. Literally all of it. <laughs> <laughs> do, you have, do you have a, a favorite brand of ice cream? Um, I really like Culver's if I'm going out. Really? Okay. Frozen custard. That's nice. I like a good frozen custard. St. Louis has a couple of famous frozen custard places here in town. Um, I'm sure you've had Ted Drew's, oh, yeah. of course. It's right down the street from the seminary. Yeah, how do you... I know, you guys are like literally a stone's throw away. But that line is just too yeah. much for me. I'm, I'm like, I'll just get it at the store. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your favorite food? Uh, just about anything pasta. Anything pasta? Pretty much. Okay, I like it. So like even like spetzel? Yeah. Okay, I like it. We're in the same boat here. Uh, dogs or cats? Dogs. Uh, I could tell by the way you were petting my dog earlier <laughs> that you definitely are a dog person. You know, cat people come over and they see the dog and they're like, oh, an animal with legs. Oh, okay. You know, but like dog people see a dog. And when you're a dog person, it doesn't matter the dog. The dog can be foaming at the mouth and you're still interested in the dog, you know? Would you say that's your experience as well? Not so much, because growing up we had a couple outside dogs, and so inside dogs that are tame are relatively a new thing for me. <laughs> so I'm still exploring, um, but I like what I've seen so far. So, uh, speaking of that, uh, where did you grow up? 
I grew up in a small town in Illinois, uh, right along I-70, about halfway between here and Indianapolis, called Casey. Um, I'm trying to think of if I've even seen it, because I drive that highway pretty often. Well, if you drive past and you see all the signs for all the world's largest things, <laughs> that's us. <laughs> you know what? At least you own it, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, that's us. Uh, our contribution to Western society is having the largest things. <laughs> so where do you live now? So I live in St. Louis at the seminary. Okay, and then, um, so you guys, uh, I guess, you know, there's, I think, what, 150 you guys normally? About 120. 120, and so you guys are living on campus. Yep. Um, now, I know we go to that building every once in a while, you know, that big party room. Do you guys live upstairs, or where do you guys actually live in the building? Yeah, so they, they call the first floor of the main building the laboratory, okay. where stuff kind of happens. We have classes, we go to church. We do all of our public stuff. Mm -hmm. And then on the second and third floors where all the dormitories are. Oh, cool. So it's kind of like Hogwarts. It's yeah, just kind of like everywhere. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> that building is just so pretty. Yeah. First off, it's beautiful. It's unbelievably beautiful. But number two, every time I go in there, I really do feel like I'm going to Hogwarts. It's like, but it's like Catholic Hogwarts, not like Wizards Hogwarts. Even better. Exactly, because it's real. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that I think wraps up getting to know you and your personality. So let's start with part one, which is what you've done. So Austin Sudcamp, who are you and what you do? What do you do? So I guess starting at the very beginning, I'm the youngest of six kids, uh, two boys and four girls. Um, I graduated last May from the University of Illinois with actually a, a major in food in uh, chemistry mm -hmm. and then a minor in food science, um, and I. Originally took a food science class in my sophomore year, and I just loved it so much. And I think we'll get on that a little bit later in one of the other questions. Okay, so why don't you tell me exactly, because I'm a chef, and how does food what is, how is a food scientist different than a chef? So being a food scientist is usually more science-y stuff. <laughs> it's kind of self-explanatory. Is there math involved? There can be. <laughs> oh, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it really depends on what kind of, what your field is in food science, because um, you can be a food chemist where you're working on a lot of the interactions between different things that are happening in a food product. Um, you can be in research and development to find new products and to figure out how uh, the stuff that your company sells can do better um, in certain aspects, certain areas. You can be in packaging. At U of I, we have uh, the food science department has its own packaging lab, which works on, you know, everything, everything that you see in the grocery store, basically. Um, yeah, so it's it's a really wide field. Um, it doesn't usually include nutrition. Mm -hmm. uh, at, at U of I, the department was food science and human nutrition, and for the most part, they were kept fairly separate. Um, we we kind of like pastry and cuisine. Oh yeah, yeah. We dealt with the food, and they dealt with what it does to a person. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the culinary department in my school was just the food aspect and we didn't care what happened to the person. You know, it was like, was it delicious and how much more money can we get out of them? You know, like my, my culinary program was a lot of learning how to cook things and then how to managing, manage the people in there, which was completely worthless because you can't manage cats, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so what's the difference between food science and culinary theory? So, um, culinary theory, it's, I think it's more 
in a sort of specific area. Um, so you're working in this restaurant, you're, you're working on a certain low, pretty limited number of food stuffs um, and figuring out what you can do to improve it for your customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and food science, it can be pretty similar, but usually food scientists work for one company that has usually one major product and they work like Doritos. Yeah, like Doritos or Cheetos or uh, famous Amos cookies or sure. something like that. And so it's working really on improving processing, uh, developing other things that the company can make. Um, and really, it's it's more oriented towards supermarket food mm-hmm. that you buy, not in a restaurant. So it's more like the study of an application of making prepackaged foods as opposed to short order or banquet or catering. For the most part. Um, and have you ever heard of the Impossible Burger? I think so. So it's a it's a meatless burger patty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's made with all plant materials. Um, and what somebody I knew at U of I, she works for that company in California, and so she does research on that. So she takes all these things and then figures out how to make it into a burger patty that tastes like meat but doesn't look like meat but browns like meat that <laughs> sort of bleeds like a burger does when you cook it, and then sells it to fast food places and they make it. I can't decide if you guys are the most evil people on earth or the most intelligent people on earth because the level of deception there to to like <laughs> have to create a product. Okay, first off, let me start. Let me step back here for a second. You know what drives me crazy? What? Is people who won't eat meat but then want to eat a product that's exactly like meat. I know. It's like if you don't want to eat meat, don't eat meat. It's like vegan cheese. Vegan cheese. What's it drives me insane. Which which is almost tofu, but it's not tofu. But it's the same kind of process as tofu because cheese and tofu are made the same way. Sorry, I'm getting up on a soapbox <laughs> here, and it, here it comes. Uh, but it's almost evil, right? Like it's almost like this evil deception. It's like, well, you know, if you don't want to eat hamburgers, that's okay because I've got this product that I've made that's exactly like a hamburger in every way, except for the fact that it's not a hamburger. Yeah. And you know it's not a hamburger, and you're watching it, and, and it's neat that you're saying because it, you know it even bleeds like a hamburger, and you're looking at it going, "Wow, how did I get a medium rare veggie burger?" Yeah. You know, but like, it's just almost wrong. Yeah. You know, it's like if you don't want to eat meat, just don't eat meat. There are thousands of cultures that have not hamburgers and not hot dogs. Yeah. And not cheese. You know, like. <laughs> Okay, I'm getting off my soapbox now. This is not about me. This is about you. So, so culinary theory is really, or culinary theory, you know, like we, we talk about, you know, like mise en place and how to cook the different things, seasonings. So do you guys focus on making things taste certain ways or is it more about like, like you said, almost like reverse engineering the hamburger to make it out of plant material? So it's kind of all of the above. I mean, you have flavor chemists that work on making a s'mores flavor that you can just pour in ice cream and have s'mores ice cream, or you have, um, you know, color people that work with coloring, food coloring, food dyes, um, and then you have people that, that try to figure out how to build a machine that can uh, peel potatoes and cut them into French fries in tons and tons of a day. Now we're talking. Yeah. Now I'm excited. I'm excited about food science now. Let's talk more about this French fry machine. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> have you ever had to cut your own French fries? I don't think so. It's awful. Don't do it. Like, even if you have one of the presses to, like, pop the potato uh-huh. through and it just goes, it's not fun. Because then you have to actually blanch them, which is, cook, you know, you dip mm-hmm. them in the water for the people who don't know. 
and then you have to chill them and then you deep fry them and that's how you make a fluffy one that's why when you go to a place that just dumps them straight in they taste greasy yeah not looking at any specific places in st louis but your fries are greasy and i don't like you <laughs> get the baked potato <laughs> <laughs> um so let's explore that just a little more so like um so like uh, basically a food scientist is probably involved in what basically any commercial product oh yeah for sure. okay so like anything that I've ever heard of, like even like candy bars and stuff mm -hmm. like that, probably have a food science. It's weird because you know you'd think like at some level in the 1900s there was like a chef or something like that yeah. involved, but but now it's like no, my name is Otto von Braun and I'm here to launch this candy bar into your face. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know. There's a a series on YouTube where this gourmet, the chef, <clears throat> it tries to take like Cheez-Its was the last episode, take Cheez-Its and make a gourmet version. Cheez-Its, Skittles, Twinkies, you know, all these things. Sure. And so that's sort of re reverse engineering the reverse engineered product. Yeah. Um, because chefs make one that you can make pretty high quality, um, but maybe it's not the most efficient thing to make on, sure, on a, a massive huge scale. scale. Right. And so food scientists, um, I th I'd say a large part of them are working towards developing things where you can make them in a factory, in, yeah. a, in a plant. That's really cool. I mean, there's there's like... A whole series of, of like, just the economy right there. Because, you know, like, being a chef, I've never... I eat pre-made food all the time. I'm constantly fixing it. But, you know, like, <laughs> that's a whole different... That's a whole different episode. Um, so, I think we've covered what the difference between food science and culinary theory is. And so, I think we also covered what does a food scientist actually do? Or do you have any more to add to that? So... In my experience, you can be a food scientist that works in a food plant, and that's a very popular one, popular option. Um, or you can be a food scientist that works in research. So working either at a university or for some organization that has a research lab and you're working on um, just working on improving some aspect that has even remotely to do with food. So when I was at U of I, I worked for almost two years in a research lab, and my whole time I was spent under this PhD student and she was working on a corn protein. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't anything that you could eat directly, or at least if you did, it wouldn't taste good. Um, but it was to figure out sort of what goes on in this, in this protein and how can we apply it to applications in the food industry? How can we um, sort of give the data that makes it applicable for pharmaceuticals or for biomedical in the industry? So sure. it's a... Uh, it's a pretty big stem where you can you can get a lot of overflow into other fields. So she's kind of like the person who would have discovered and applied xanthan gum to like the gluten-free products, the yeah. stuff that makes it feel like gluten but it isn't. Yeah. You ever you, have you ever been told how that's made? There's no. like a bacteria that secretes an excretion, and then they process that excretion because it's gummy and mucilogenic. And then they apply that into a synthetic bread for people who can't eat gluten but yet want to eat gluten. Yeah. So that's, that's a hard one. I don't know how I could live without bread. <laughs> so what got you interested in culinary science? So it was that food science 101 class I took, Introduction to Food Science. And it was a really large lecture class, probably at least 300 students in the big auditorium. And we just talk about you know, lipids and proteins and water for classes on end. And, <laughs> and it was just all of this science stuff that I was studying. Because you're doing chemistry. Mm -hmm. All of the science stuff and then applied to food, which I love even more than science. And so <laughs> it was just great. Um, and so I picked up a minor in food science and I went through 
different classes like food processing and food microbiology and food chemistry and all these other other aspects that that go into the into the industry. So it kind of reminds me of I used to live down in College Station, Texas, which is where Texas A and M is. And you know, the common misconception is that like the farmer is some rural poke who doesn't mm -hmm. know anything about the world and you know, has like two teeth and you know, one shoe and a, a hay fork. But like the modern farm is, it's technology. Oh, yeah. it, is, it is a technical piece, it is orchestrated, it is data driven, it's built with logistics and stuff like that. And that this just kind of reminds me of that is now I'm feeling antiquated and outdated. I'm feeling like the farmer with the pitchfork and two teeth <laughs> um, from the 1900s because it's just a completely different way of, a much more technical way of looking at food and yeah. the structure. And I would assume the organic chemistry, you know, cause you're talking about lipids yeah. and hydrogen molecules or hydrogen uh, atoms and stuff, and water and all that stuff. So it's just really interesting because like it's just a whole different area of study. It's oh, yeah. a, it's not even like, it's related, but it's really not. It's like, it's 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 really important, you know. Like yeah. it's really important because think about all the foods that are in like a freezer. You know, like we have pre-made pot stickers. Yeah. Or like we get frozen pizzas, and now I'm I'm thinking there's some nice Chinese lady out in California who's making my pot stickers, and now I'm going, oh no, this is probably designed by yeah. By a guy like you or some lady, somebody who had a product and sat down and, and figured out and calculated, you know, we need this amount for this and this amount mm -hmm. for this. And it's just crazy because I even have like pre-made soy sauces and things. There's probably a, uh, a food scientist behind it. I mean, until a couple years ago, I'd never even heard of food science, yeah. you know. So it's almost like, you know, like the unheard of oh, yeah. trade, you know, and it's like super incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah. So really... I just remembered one of my professors said that the realm of food science is basically getting stuff from farms and then bringing it to the customer. Got it. Um, and so figuring out how to do things, how, and food science is a very customer-driven industry. Everything that the food science industry does is because somewhere a consumer wants it that way. Sure. Um, so an example of sort of the the ingenuity that has to come in is special K cereal with mm -hmm. the strawberries. So there's a, <laughs> such a thing with moisture migration in mm -hmm. foods. And so if you have everything in a big bag, like dry cereal and, you know, stra dried strawberries that aren't as dry as the cereal, mm -hmm. the moisture is going to move inside the bag from the strawberries into the cereal. So mm -hmm. you get crunchy strawberries and soggy cereal. <laughs> and so the realm of food, food, scientists is, of food science is trying to figure out how can I make a shelf-stable product for an appropriate amount of time that people will still want to eat. That's actually fascinating because I'm helping a guy develop a product that I can't talk too much about, but that's one of the things that I was worried about was, you know, some of the products are really, some of them are dry because it's nuts and other parts of it aren't as dry because they're more wet ingredients. And so we actually went, I, I was trying to explain to him how to mo measure moisture mm -hmm. uh, content with a scale and, you know, he's never cooked before, but um, you know, he was getting it and, and it's interesting cause that's a whole realm yeah. of that. I mean, can you get a master's degree or a PhD in food scientists? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so like this is, this is, this is big stuff. Oh, yeah. These are big ideas. I'm thinking I need to go back to college. <laughs> this is sounding exciting to me. Yeah. It's a, it's a great time. <laughs> I don't think I worked a day in any of my food science classes. I just loved them all so much. So you didn't actually, 
Now you mean that you were having so much fun that the hard work was more like pleasure. Oh yeah. Okay, Sorry. I'm just being clear. Because <laughs> you know, I'm just picturing you taking a nap in the back and I'm like, well, what did I bring this guy on for? for? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I will say some of the professors had very soothing voices. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me, I have never fallen asleep in a class, but I had a friend who had no problem falling asleep. Mm -hmm. And one day I got tired of him snoring. So I drew cat whiskers and a cat nose on him <laughs> with permanent marker, and he never slept in class again. <laughs> if you're listening, Kyle, I'm sorry. Not sorry. Uh, so, so we've kind of touched on this, but I was wondering if you could elaborate a little more on where and for whom do food scientists usually work? So I would say the majority are in food plants somewhere, somewhere in the world. You have, you know, the ones that develop the McGriddles for McDonald's, mm -hmm. which is a big... Pretty big food science. Now you say that, I'm thinking that all of McDonald's products are 100% oh, yeah. food oh, yeah. science. The McGriddles especially, because it was very tricky to figure out how to put those syrup things in there. Oh, I know. Let's talk about that. <laughs> okay. First off, McGriddles are fabulous. Okay. I don't care that people don't like McDonald's. They poo-poo it all the time. I love McDonald's. I eat there all the time. McGriddles are a miracle of science. There is syrup pockets inside of a solid pancake material. <laughs> it is genius, it is the future. I remember when those came out and I took a bite out of it and I was like, but it's a, it's a pancake, yeah. it needs syrup. And they're like, no, there's syrup pockets. <laughs> they didn't describe it, that's how I describe it. It's like, they're like, almost like deposits of oil in the earth, yeah. but it's syrup. And you get enough in every bite, right? I was taking a bite out of this thing, I'm like, okay, savory, sweet, buttery, Syrup! Oh, this is crazy! What is this? What's happening here? Okay, sorry. You can continue on that. But how great is that? Yeah, so that was, I mean, even in the food, in fast food, those people that work on all of those products, because everything in a fast food restaurant has been developed by somebody at some point, and so figuring out what consumers want, what consumers are going to want to eat, especially those that go to McDonald's. Sure. Um, and then figure out how to put them on a nationwide scale. That's that's the one that always gets me, and I've been wanting to get somebody on from a fast food, mm -hmm. you know, like a fast food retailer. But we had Greg on uh, two weeks ago, and he was talking about working at Walmart, and they go through three hundred pounds of ground beef an hour. Wow! And so he works in the grocery department, but and that's on like a slow day. But like McDonald's is a whole different scale. Yeah. It in, it's so like for me being a culinary guy, it's inspirational because you see like those, you know, like documentaries about fast food mm -hmm. and McDonald's is always one of them. And they're showing their plant. Yeah. Their plant is a gigantic, the whole building is a refrigerator. Yeah. And they were showing their distribution centers and how large they are. And you got to think that like when you're a place that sells a triple cheeseburger for $2 across the entire country, could you even imagine if McDonald's went out of business, people would be starving in the streets. Yeah. It, that's how like how much volume they're doing. People, they you couldn't do it. It's an almost an essential like national service at this point. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like who can make food for that cheap at that yeah. volume? You know, like nobody can. I can't. Yeah, I know I can't. I've tried to do it here. I've tried to make a burger that thin. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. It's impossible. So that's food science, right? Mm -hmm. So how are you guys making patties that thin? That I don't know about. <laughs> Most of my area of expertise is in corn protein, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, corn proteins. Tell me about these sexy corn proteins. <laughs> um, I feel like a lot of it wouldn't make for good listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep your listeners 
interested. <laughs> so can we just move on to the next question? Though I did work one summer at a flour, F-L-O-U-R mill. Sure. And so making, turning wheat into flour and then selling it on to bakeries and, and other food plants that use it. Did you use a giant windmill and grind it with a stone? No. Oh. Um, is that old? That's old. <laughs> the milling industry is pretty, pretty old as is, but that's even older. Um, so they had this big seven or eight story mill with probably on one level they had all their, their millstones. So they mm-hmm. had all the machines that, that ground up the wheat in the progressively finer stages, but they probably had 20 mill boxes, which were probably six feet long. Um, it's just a big operation. It's huge. Yeah. That's a lot. And then my job was to take all the all the little wheat samples that would come in and then make little test test batches of flour in a te- they called it a test mill. It was still the size of a Volkswagen, but um, really, yeah, <laughs> it's a test mill. <laughs> it's the size of a Beetle, Dad. Well, it's still for testing. <laughs> it's much smaller than the than the full scale. So I'd take the flour and you know run tests on it. Some of the flour I baked into bread and figured out how it. Baked into bread. Are you well. any good at that? Well, I made. I think one week I made eleven loaves. So. So you're getting good. I'm not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I just did a, a post about uh, activating yeast. Uh-huh. So maybe, maybe I should have sent that to you directly. You know, and had you approve yeah. it first. No, this isn't how we would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd recommend a different method. I actually had someone just say that they activate yeast in in milk. Hmm. Which then it reminded me of the Mongolians, or the Mongols, not the Mongolians. Uh, the Mongols drink a drink made out of fermented yak's milk, I believe. Oh, yeah. And that just sounds thick. Oh, well, yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Jägermeister was thick, but I think whole milk that's been curdled and turned into alcohol might be thicker. One time I did a, a sensory evaluation sort of test for one of the other PhD students, and it was on infant formula and so it was two shots that you had to take them both or take them one at a time and then see which one out of the pair was more bitter which was a just a terrible thing <laughs> but in between each shot of baby formula you had to do a palate cleanse and i don't remember the order anymore but it was cold water warm water a piece of bread and a little bit of heavy cream Ugh. and that was just the wor- I'm surprised I made it through that test without vomiting. Heavy cream is the antithesis of a palate cleanse. <laughs> like palate cleanse is like lemons, lemon sorbet, yeah. like a little bit of mint, you know, <laughs> like a peppermint. <laughs> Lick a single peppermint once, you know, like an Altoid, you know, like I'm thinking about all these things, like these things that like are, you know, anything that's a better palate cleanser than heavy cream. Well, yes, I don't want you to taste anything. Here's a shot of heavy cream, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, it was gross. It, it sounds horrible. No, no part. You couldn't sell me on that. I'm just going to be honest. If someone said, "Hey, I'm going to pay you to drink infant formula," I'd be like, "No, I'm okay." Yeah. Well, my <laughs> grad student, she told me, you know, just go up. There's a there's a sensory evaluation that one of the other grad students needs help on. And so I said, "Okay, I'll I'll help a help a person in need." And I got up there, and it was <laughs> that, and I couldn't leave because we were in the same building, and it just would have been awkward. <laughs> but then I got a caramel afterwards. So you got a caramel. <laughs> All right, kids, if you're listening right now, the key here is to 
Well, I was going to ask the next question, which is why did you choose to, you know, move out of move to the seminary? But I'm going to tell you right now that that is compensation That's method that would do it. <laughs> you get to do all these gross things, and here's a butterscotch. You know, <laughs> no thanks. So, what would you say that the most challenging aspect of food science is? I would say, I think for me, working in a research lab for, you know, some pretty extended length of time was just sort of the monotony of it. So we had all these samples and then getting the samples out of the raw product and then figuring out how to test them and then testing each product in five different machines, you know, three times each. Mm -hmm. And so when you have 150 samples, or I think we had a lot of samples, I don't know if it was 150, but it gets pretty pretty boring after, you know, a couple months in. That sounds really boring. I don't know a lot of chefs who could handle that. like. Because one of the things about you know working in the restaurants is it's always busy, it's always exciting. There's always something happening. And that's actually I've had a couple of chefs on, and and that's actually what they yeah. say is is I love the the diversity and the unity and the excitement and the you know coming together as a team. And that is the antithesis yeah. of that. That is, well, we're gonna sit here, we're gonna put on our safety glasses, <laughs> and we're going to test this ice cream sample. Yeah, I don't think I could do that. Yeah, and I think in that regard, food science is more science than it is food and I think almost so. to some degree. I, I think I can, because what you're saying is, you know, like, you know, like, I understand, I understand the basics of chemistry, mm -hmm. right? I understand a little bit of organic chemistry. I understand the chemistry aspects of baking and cooking, you know, the, the limited aspects of it. But like, you have a degree in chemistry. Yeah. And I liked chemistry. I was good at chemistry and everybody cheated off my chemistry <laughs> homework. But... I don't think I would do chemistry for a living. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think I'd want to calculate moles or pH values no. or... Yeah, me neither. Any of that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> any of that stuff. So, um, so I would like you to tell me, in your own words, uh, why is it important for the world to have food scientists? So, really, I mean, if you want to go to the supermarket and have some food to buy, that's why you need food scientists. <laughs> I think that's the long and short of it. Um, and it, they, we sort of talked about it in some of my classes that as population expands, meat and things like that take a lot of resources mm -hmm. to create on a large scale. And so that's sort of why you have rise of things like the Impossible Burger, where you take these really abundant resources to recreate something that's more, um, more resource heavy. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and who knows, maybe in 150 years there there could be a shift away from having all the meat products and all those livestock proteins and whatever into a transformation of plant proteins in a way that makes them a lot more palatable to people. Hmm. And so that's, I think, in order to feed the world in, you know, 300 years, food science is going to have a big role to play in that. I could see that. I also think, you know, they talk about the big renaissances in the world happen, um, not to get morbid, but after, you know, a big tragedy, you know, like the renaissance, the actual renaissance or enlightenment, whichever one you want to call it, happened because of the plague. The plague kills off a third of the people. All of a sudden, everybody was starving. Now you have more food than you know what to do with. And I think that the big explosions, you know, like the advent of fertilizer, the mechanical machinery on farms, the ability to package and process things, can yeah. things all of a sudden leads to these population explosions because instead of having a limited amount of food, all of a sudden you have an almost unlimited amount of food. And I feel like to a certain degree, we're in a point where we have a lot of food, 
but not necessarily an unlimited amount of food, especially yeah. where there's people in the rest of the world who are actually starving. Yeah. And I think that having that big technological breakthrough that will enable the rest of the people to be fed and clothed and happy, I think that's a big deal. Yeah. I think that's an important work, and I think that's good work. Yeah. Um, I just want to eat real steak. <laughs> <laughs> I am from the Midwest. I am an American, and I would like to eat real steak. Thank you. Well, that's why you live in this time and not 300 years from now. Yeah, I, you know... You know, in Star Trek, the Vulcans, they, they don't eat meat. They're vegetarians because they, for whatever reason, they also have pointy ears and green blood. So, there's that. Okay, so part two, what are you doing now? So, we've kind of covered food science pretty well. So, I touched on this at the very, very beginning. Uh, you're at a seminary now. Was food science really boring that you had to change? Or why move from culinary science to seminary? So, I like to frame it in... It's sort of in the view of not going away from food science, but going towards the seminary. Okay. So focusing more on what I'm going towards and not what I'm leaving behind. Um, you sound like an immigrant. I'm looking at America <laughs> and I'm not looking at Ireland anymore. Yeah. <laughs> there was no shortage of potatoes at home, so. <laughs> there you go. I got it for you. <laughs> yeah, so... I think in a way, as, as Christians, we believe in a, in a very personal God, mm -hmm. in a God who thinks that, who has a plan for each person in what he has created him or her to do the best mm -hmm. it's in order to have the most impact on the world or to make, um, to make that person the happiest he could be or whatever it is for any, any number of reasons. And so I think for me, the goal of seminary, well, for everyone, the goal of seminary is to figure out whether God himself is calling the man to the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the role of seminary. That's why I'm there, because I thought, you know, in, in the past, oh, this priesthood thing is an option. It's, it's, it's a good option for me. I think it would be a good fit. And so saying yes and going to seminary, applying to seminary, which is a pretty big feat in and, in and of itself, <laughs> um, and then going there in order to figure out if through being a priest, God, that's what God has created me for. Sure. And I think there's a word for this. Is that is it discernment? Yeah. Is yeah. that the process, the name of the process? You know, Jeff keeps harping on me mm -hmm. about not using these hot words mm -hmm. anymore. So he gave me a couple more to use and I just keep using them because I like them. They're good words, you know. They're, they're good words that summarize big ideas. Yeah. And those are important, especially in English. Mm-hmm. We have a very wordy language. That's right. So, you know, one of the things that people think about with, you know, coming from food science is that faith and science are separate mm -hmm. and that they're not equal and they have nothing to do with each other. Would you say that you find that to be accurate or inaccurate? Uh, very inaccurate in my experience. Um, I think that, I don't, I don't know where the history of all of this comes from, the, the animosity between sort of faith and reason. Um, but it's not really a historical thing because the church in the Catholic church in its history is really where a lot of, I mean, all the first universities were founded by Catholics, Catholic monks, Catholic monasteries, the, the universities were an offshoot of there. And so even in like sort of the medieval time, the, the 1000s sort of on for the next few hundred years, um, that was a time of really asking questions. Mm -hmm. So asking questions about everything, whether whether there's a God or not, whether 
um, whether this thing to do is immoral or moral, or mm-hmm. um, I have we we talk about some of this stuff in some of my classes, um, and one of them is is Anselm, who is a, he was a monk in the late one thousands, and his definition of theology, which is the study of God, is faith seeking understanding. That makes sense. Yeah. So <coughs> working working with it um, from sort of working especially because I was in a lot of the hard sciences, working through all of this stuff that I... Corn proteins, hard sciences. That was more chemistry. Chemistry is a hard (laughs) stuff. Um, We've got all this stuff to look at. We've Mm -hmm. got atoms and and neutrons and whatever, proteins. And we can say, um, we can say, what is it? What's... What's next? What's further down? What's the smallest thing? What's the larger thing on in the universe? Mm-hmm. How is the universe expanding? Is it expanding? What speed is it expanding? And so we can sort of ask questions about all of those things. But as Christian scientists... Um, not the religion, yeah, but no, not, scientists not who are Christians. Right. <laughs> um, Just to be clear there. Sort of we, we ask these questions about the, about the specifics... But we know we have the general always in the back of our mind that it's God, mm-hmm. that God is the, the creator of all of the things, that, that he sort of knows all of those things and put each one into action, that he made sure. the electron rotate around the, mm-hmm. the nucleus and all that stuff. I've heard the analogy that science is just the, science is the study of creation and faith is the study of the creator. Yeah. And that, that's kind of one of the ways that I like it explained because it's easy. Yeah. And it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just, I guess, on a practical level, um, if God created humans with a brain that could think about all these things, why shouldn't we think why about all we? these yeah. things? I agree. That's that's really good reason. So is that common to come from, uh, you know, like I would have assumed that people who are going into, you know, to study theology, to become priests or become pastors or become what-so-have-you, a religious folk would tend to focus on that, know that that's what they were going to do and start there from the beginning. Like, I knew I wanted to go into culinary, so I went into culinary. I ended up cutting my finger off and having it reattached, (laughs) so I got my degree in hotel and restaurant management because I wanted to be the boss. But would you say that having a varied background before seminary or before theology school is normal? I think it's pretty normal, yeah. Because you certainly have the guys who... Uh, in sort of in decades past, men would enter sort of high school seminary, mm-hmm. which was um, a high school that sort of was preparing guys for to go on in seminary, which isn't a thing so much anymore. But after high school, you, there's a pretty pretty high number of the priests who go right out of high school through college seminary and then another four years and then become priests after that. But it's also pretty common for men to go to college somewhere like I did at U of I for four years, get a degree. Um, either go straight in after that, like I did, or work for a few years mm-hmm. and then um, sort of ask the questions about discernment and sure. what, what your vocation is, which is another buzzword. Um, <laughs> Trying to think of the other ones. <laughs> Anyways, but continue. Um, and then after that, after you know, however many years to enter seminary with varying backgrounds. So you have the, the guys who studied philosophy sure. in their undergrad. And that's what I would have thought. Yeah. You, you'd go and you'd, you'd go, well, I feel like this. I want to do this. I want to study psychology or sociology, you know, human stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like human theology or uh, psychology or social work, social work, yeah. something like that. Something to 
what the soft sciences i guess yeah. they call it when they talk about the human the brain humanities the humanities you know that's that's something we don't i'm gonna get on my soapbox here. <laughs> that's something we need to study more in our culture that is something that we really miss out on when we focus a lot on our stem you know the science yeah. technology engineering and math we miss what makes people people yeah. which is the humanities which is the art which is the what we'd call the liberal arts mm -hmm. which is the things that the greeks would say that you needed to be to even be a free person yeah. which is like the ability rhetoric or arguing debate you know things like that yeah. philosophy i think those are important but i'm getting off my soapbox again but um back to the the science aspect you know like uh, one of the priests at the at the churches we've been going to lately is Father Lampy, and he's actually a nuclear engineer by uh, by trade. Yeah, you know before he went into seminary, and you know you got to think that like a nuclear engineer is like a chemist or or you know a food scientist or like an organic chemistry guy. I mean that's like some pretty nuts and bolts yeah. stuff. You know really dry kind of stuff. So to go to that and then like you say to go through the process of discernment and decide well hey maybe there's something here. So uh, I guess the question is you know you're feeling. Like you're going to continue going on that, right? Yeah. You're feeling like you like it? Yeah, things are going well. This is my first year out of, uh, when it's all said and done, if I finish seminary, it'll be, uh, how many years? Six years. So one of six. Um, and at this point, I'm I'm continuing on next year. That's awesome. So would you say that your experience with food science plays a role into your experiences as a seminary now? It does. Um, maybe not in a super obvious way, but it, it's, it gives me a lot of fun facts to pull out. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, and just, you know, if I, if I cook for myself one night or cook for some people, sort of thinking through recipes and, and thinking about what happens. And so if we don't, if we don't have one ingredient, what to substitute. And so it's, it's sort of helpful in the ways that being a chef is helpful, I think. Mm -hmm. Do you, so like, there's a lot of charity work that goes into being a priest or like cooking and mm -hmm. feeding people, you know? Um, do you think that in the future that is something that will work for you into your advantage? Or do you think it's gonna be one of those things where like, I'm a chef and I don't mean to be critiquing your, your technique, but I can't help it. Yeah. I think it might play somewhat of a role. I don't think it'll play a super big role, but you know, some churches have, uh, <laughs> have soup kitchens or mm -hmm. bread lines or, or whatever. And so I think it, there it could be helpful. Um, but really, I mean, if I, if I don't use any of my food science stuff other than fun facts for the rest of my life, I'd be You'd be happy. totally happy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we've covered all that. So let's go into your plans for the future. So uh, you've already said you're going to continue on the seminary. So tell me if there was somebody listening who was trying to discern whether or not they were being called, would you give them some pointers? Sure. So discerning sort of the what your vocation is, which sort of is what God's plan, big plan for you is. Um, you know, you've got priesthood, you've got the religious, so like sisters and brothers, nuns and, and that monks. sort of thing, monks. And then you have the most common one, which is marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's important to, especially in prayer, just to to figure out how God speaks to you. Because if you want to figure out what he wants for you, you have to figure out how he's going to tell you. So sort of some of the some of the basic ones are, you know, you have the old people who tell you, oh, you'd be such a good priest. <laughs> um, that means you're just good at listening. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, usually, sometimes, sometimes they're divinely inspired. <laughs> um, Thank you, Auntie. <laughs> and then you've got sort of your friends who can tell you, you know, oh, you'd be you'd be a great husband and father. Sure. Um, and just so you can listen through other people in your own prayer, you can you can just sort of start to start to recognize God's voice in in your head in your prayer. Um, and so figure out how he's how he's talking to you. You can see it in the situations where, um, hey, look, I'm in seminary. That's a that's a pretty good. It's a pretty good you know base level saying, oh, if I if I continue on this path, I'll be a priest. So unless I hear something different, sure, I'm going to continue on this path. Hey, I'm dating this. I'm dating this girl. Um, if things are continuing the way they continue sure. without a big sign or anything, I'm right. going to marry her. Yeah, like she's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to anybody out there. Me and my wife are both crazy. <laughs> like, she's laughing in the background if you can hear her because she knows we're insane. That's what makes me entertaining. Um, so, okay, just a little more on seminary. Would you say it's boring or would you say it's interesting? I know my experience has been there visiting you guys has been a lot of fun, but I'm kind of like the entertainment, so. I'd say it depends on the person. For the most part, it's it's pretty interesting um, because we're learning about all these things about the faith, about philosophy, about, you know, Aristotle and Plato mm-hmm. and all these philosophers from from all eras of time, basically. Um, Even the dumb ones like Nietzsche? We haven't gotten on to him yet. We're on Kant He's dumb. Right You're going to hate him. <laughs> Um, Let me sum him up. He hates everything and everyone and everything's worthless, so what does it even matter? Oh, good. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> and so really, it's it's uh, not too different from undergraduate studies. I mean, you, except you all live in the same building and mm-hmm. don't go out anytime, really. So it's, <laughs> we're trapped in a compound. Help us! Send Ryan! Entertain us! No, would you say that it's intellectually stimulating? Because I find that a lot of stuff these days is very dry, very factual, and not stimulating. I mean, you have some classes that are more interesting than others, for sure. And it depends on the person. So I like I like the stuff about all the facts. I like all that stuff. Um, You're a facts guy, not a feelings guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a feelings guy, not a facts guy, because I feel, you know, of Irish descent. A story is a story, and a story without an embellishment is no story at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's sort of the, the name of the game with all the intro stuff is mainly learning about the history, learning about different aspects. Um, and then once you go on, you know, you get into the more fun classes of pastoral counseling mm-hmm. and homiletics on how to preach and then how to baptize babies and how to witness marriages and all that stuff. I saw the marriage. I witnessed it. <laughs> <laughs> There it is. <laughs> there it is. I saw it. Man, that homily class, uh, that, you know, there are some people who could really stand to take that again. <laughs> I really think that it, you know, like homily is important, you know, and we're going to talk about that this for here for a second. I know it's a food podcast, but I really find that the ones for me that do the best are, here's the message. Here's how it applies to you. Here's how I apply it. And here's how I would suggest you to apply this. Yeah. You know, it's like, make it personal. Yeah. And it's sort of interesting to see different priests throughout, you know, the area, the, the different eras of, of schooling. You know, they have different styles. They were taught mm-hmm. different styles. And so... Sure, because somebody from the first century AD is going to have a... No one has that much time anymore yeah. to listen to someone talk about yeah. a concept. 
Yeah, and then, you know, back in that time, even you know, 300 years ago, people could remember a lot better than what, what they can now. They didn't have phones to write out all their notes in. Right. That, can, was, that was the other thing I was going to say, is keep it short. Yeah. Because <laughs> make your point and end. Yeah. You don't have to give me 12 other cited sources. <laughs> I just need the one opinion and I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so even within the last 100 years, there are different different ways of, you know, you've got the the era that you teach you teach things in the homily. You've got the area where you just tell people that God loves them, mm-hmm. sort of stuff like that. White and fluffy. Yeah. Like whipped cream. Yep. Which, uh, the really the first sort of whipped cream product was invented at University of Illinois. Really? Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Marshmallows. That's a food science thing. What the heck is the deal with marshmallows? We talked about s'mores, and now you sparked my interest. Do you know anything about marshmallows? I just know that in, I've seen pictures of international food aisles in other grocery stores mm-hmm. you know, around the world, and it always has marshmallow fluff. And I cannot tell you a single time in my life I've ever used marshmallow fluff. <laughs> now, is it marshmallow fluff or marshmallow fluff? I think that's one of those things that the rest of the world has just picked up and classified as an incredibly American food. So you've got like marshmallow it's not fluff. Even food. Marshmallow fluff. Uh, people in Europe love Philadelphia cream cheese. Oh, that stuff's great. I like that stuff. Well, that's true. <laughs> Good taste. They, they you were, chose well. They were more on the mark with that than marshmallow fluff. Yeah, definitely. Like Philadelphia cream cheese is pretty fantastic stuff. Like you can get it in little tubs. It's got a little honey, a little walnut combination, maybe little chives. Get that. Go to my good. There's a good bagel bagel shop down the street, by the way. You should go there some that day, but you can get a pumpernickel bagel with the Philadelphia schmear. Schmear. Yeah, that's what I always call it. Schmear. People always look at me like I have four heads because I say schmear. Well, I think we've exhausted the subject. Um, so thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. Did you, did you have fun? Yeah, it was great. Did you learn anything about yourself today? Um, I know that I like your dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that is my good friend Austin Sudcamp. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we'll be on next week with Mia Johnson, who is a dental hygienist in the United States Air Force, and she will be talking about her experiences and the other part of the people behind your food, which is the teeth part of your food. But it won't be boring. It'll be funny and interesting. I pinky swear promise. Anyways, guys, have a good night. I'll see you next week. <laughs>